Hi there, everybody. I'm Steve Kernacki. Welcome to our podcast. We call this Boozy Banter. Uh, and if you haven't listened to us before, I'll just explain to you how it works. We're, we're kind of combining a bunch of different uh, broadcasting mediums here. Um, the other night, we went down to my local bar here in New York City, the Lower East Side of New York City. We do this every week, every Monday night. And um, we go on Meerkat. And Meerkat is that uh, live video streaming app launched a couple months ago. And uh, we go on there, and I bring a special guest in, and me and the guest sit there, and we drink, and we talk to whoever wants to talk to us on Meerkat. They can ask us any questions they want. They can make any comments they want. Um, we'll talk about, you know, we talk about politics. We talk about the media. We talk about current events. We talk about anything that anybody on there wants to talk about. It's a lot of fun. We do it once a week. A uh, nice combination of, uh, of alcohol and, uh, and topical conversation. So this week we went down to Donnie Brook. That's the name of the bar here. And uh, our special guest was Brian Stelter. Brian Stelter from CNN. He hosts Reliable Sources. That's a weekend show there. Uh, it's all about the media. It airs Sunday mornings. He also writes for CNN's website. Uh, he's one of those um, sort of Internet age phenomenons, um, Brian Stelter. He was a, a high school, college kid who was just he was obsessed with, uh, with television news, with cable news. He started blogging about it as a high school student, as a college student, caught everybody's attention, got great information, great reporting, and he was like 22, 23 years old, something like that, and he got hired by the New York Times. I mean, what an amazing what an amazing jump that is. And then after a few years at the New York Times, got hired at CNN. That's where he is now. So he came down on Monday night. He joined me. He joined some people at the bar and a bunch of people on Meerkat, and we, we talked for an hour. It was a lot of fun, so take a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Lower East Side of Manhattan, to Donnybrook, the spot where we, every Monday night, except for the last two Mondays when we were away for, for various reasons, we host something called Meerkat Monday. Very simple. If you're watching us on Meerkat, you can join in. You can participate. You can ask us questions. You can give us your comments. You can tell us what's on your mind. You can ask me anything you want. You can ask tonight's special guest anything you want. And who? Who is tonight's special guest? Well, this is very exciting, ladies and gentlemen. It is the one, the only... Mr. Brian Stelter. You may know him from CNN's Reliable Sources. You may remember him from the New York Times. If you're really, really old like me, you might remember him from TV Newser. Mm. This man has had an extraordinary career in media, even though he's much younger than me. Still haven't gotten on the game show, though. We're working on that. Oh, we got to talk about the game show. In fact, start with your questions, start with your comments. Our moderator, Jeff Eldridge, over here is going to get to them, and we'll get to them as well. But I want to start... I got a bone to pick with you. And not really with you, but you work for CNN. And I don't mean to, like, pick a fight, but tonight, just before we sat down, CNN presented a 1970s-style game show. Quiz show. Quiz show, hosted by Anderson. He seems like a very good guy. I did a show a couple times a few years ago. But I have to say, for the last two years, my show has been doing... A 1970s style <laughs> quiz show, a send up of the 70s. I wear the plaid jacket. We have that wand microphone. We're very proud of this. And it feels to me a little bit like CNN is huh. taking my thing, I have now to say. Where did you get your idea for your quiz show? I got mine from Wink Martindale. Hmm. No such thing in television is a new idea. No, it's true. It's true. Now, you don't have to speak for I understand. It's your. Listen, we, I'll defend MSNBC, you defend CNN. But it's I just, actually fun to see. The, uh, you don't get as much... Uh, your quiz show is not as polarizing as CNN's. How is that? 
on, 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 on Twitter tonight, it's either, this is so great, it should be on every week, or it's, this is the end of uh, news as we know oh, it. Oh, I got, no, I got, I'll tell you, I get that too. You've got a lot of, oh, do you? Oh, yeah, we get a lot you of, yeah. You only have fans of your show. I wish, show. I wish. You've been very kind to our show, and I really appreciate that. I'm a very big fan of your game. But we get, we believe me, I get plenty of people who are like, you know, linking the decline of Western civilization and the weakening of America and the rise of the yen or whatever to like to our game show. So no we, we get that too. I think the genius of your game show is your enthusiasm. I love it. Well I'm one of those people I so I grew up like I, I grew up in the nineteen eighties. I, I was uh, I, I was born in nineteen seventy nine. I grew up in the eighties and what did I watch as a kid in the summer, right? I got out of school in June, I had three months to kill and if I was home I was watching the USA network. In the 1980s. So USA Network from like noon to, I'm going to say, 5 p.m. Every single day in the 1980s was running reruns of game shows. So they played Card Sharks, Press Your Luck, you know, Win, Lose, or Draw, Bumper Stumpers, uh, uh, The Chain Game. Do you remember any of these? Do you like... I remember some of them, I mean, I was... You know, my original ambition in life was either to be on game shows or to host game shows. But I, these things were the most exciting things in my world. So we're sitting there. I'm like, all these years later, I'm like, I got a TV show. I got like, right? Oh, we got a technical problem. Mine just said the stream is ended. Oh no. Wait, do we keep podcasting? Keep, keep talking. We seem to be. There is a technical difficulty. We're back online. Sorry about that, folks. We were just talking about game shows. Yeah. So I mean, that's. I mean, I was. It was your first ambition in life. My ambition in life. I was a kid, and there were two things I wanted to be. I was a game show host or a sports announcer. Those were my two things. My first goal was to be a garbage man. Where'd that come from? I would wait for the trash man to come every. I think I was five years old. I got so excited to see this big giant truck coming down the street. And then ever since then, I want to be a journalist. Probably some sort of correlation. There's a link between the... Sort of a link between those two goals. Um, right. but, but so your background, though, for people who don't... Maybe people know this, maybe they don't. I'm amazed by it. So, and take me through this. You were, were you in high school when you started a blog on television news? Almost. Is that what it was? I was a freshman in college. So you were at Towson University of Maryland? Is that it? In high school, I had other blogs, though. I was always... In middle school and in high school, I was always making some website, whether it was about like Goosebumps books or Nintendo games, or <laughs> Xbox games. I'm sort of dating myself, if that's possible. When were you? When were you in middle school and high school? What years are we talking here? I was born here? in '85, so in '95 I started making websites. Okay, so um, this is when it was like GeoCities.com and like. This is you could just look like... at the code and just teach yourself HTML. Okay. Whereas now, if I open up Twitter and I look at the code, it's just impenetrable. It's impossible for me <laughs> to learn it. But back then, yeah, it was Geo's News, it was Prodigy, it was CompuServe. Prodigy, oh Prodigy. my god, that's right, yeah. This was even I had Prodigy, you would jump to the page, yeah, right? AOL, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, all these websites were hobbies, but they were also like a little bit journalistic, you know, because they were trying to be uh, destinations where people were obsessed with these topics. So TV News for me was more the same. It was like just another destination for obsessive fans of cable news, so, of which I was one. But so where did you, how did it come about that you were an obsessive fan of cable news? You're what, 20, 21 years old. How did you, how did that develop into a thing where like major people in, in television news are confiding things in you? <laughs> it, it actually only took about a month before, because I put it online in January of 2004, and by February, Anchors, uh, the first one was Greta Van Susteren and Fox, but anchors were taking it seriously. And I think it was because they could tell I loved cable news, and it was sort of a bulletin board for the industry, because it was 
who else was publishing 10 blog posts a day about cable news? Nobody was. So it was, I mean, the best way to get people to read, if you, if, you know, if you want uh, Steve Kornacki to read your blog, start writing about Steve Kornacki. Oh. We got, how are we getting the, <laughs> is, um, Merrick, is the Wi-Fi thing on? No, it's on. Oh. Should we go to the Wi-Fi thing? Sorry, guys, on the on the podcast, we're having some technical difficulties in the Meerkat feed. See if this gets it going again. This is uh, we're back. Yeah, we've been using my phone. Sorry, folks, on Meerkat. Please bear with us. Uh, but I think we're back. We're back live now. All right. So Brian Stelter, it's early 2004, and you are writing. So, so you're saying the key to this, like, to what you did is. You write about the well, people, I they're going to start reading you. I imagined my audience. I wanted I wanted Katie Couric. I wanted Matt Lauer. I wanted Tom Brokaw to be reading this blog. And uh, at first it was more my opinions, and I pretty quickly realized that wasn't as interesting as the actual news. Right? The opinions are good. Opinions are interesting. But it's more interesting to have the daily ratings and to have who's mm -hmm. up and who's down and who's hired and who's fired. That was the... And because, uh, you know, Drudge has that tip box where you can just put an anonymous tip in. So that's what I put on my blog in 2004, and it created this funnel for content. So are you, so so are, are you sitting there, you're something. like, you're 20, 21 years old, you're 19 years old, and or 18, whatever you were. So you have this tip box. Is there a day when you're just sitting there and it's like, holy shit, the president of CNN just emailed yeah, me or something like I that? I what the first huge scoop was. But, you know, Fox started providing the ratings every day, the daily overnight ratings, which was a big deal at the time because they were hard to get. Now they're on a bunch of blogs. But back then, there was no blog you'd go to and read the daily, the, the prior night's ratings. And if Fox didn't want to give them to me because Fox lost, weirdly, then CNN or MSNBC would give them to me. Somebody was always motivated to give me the ratings because somebody always won. So I had this daily source of last night's ratings, and that became a sort of... Uh, reason to go to the blog every day. And then from there, I also built it out with tips and opinions and commentary and everything. I think my revelation, or my, not my revelation, it sounds ridiculous, but my, my insight was the New York Times only covers cable news once a month. And the Post and the Daily News and everybody, they might do it once a week. I can do it 10 times a day. So it's inherently more interesting because it's nonstop. Right. This is before so Twitter and Facebook, so it was still kind of new and to you're, when, when, live coverage or something. When you're saying like, so I just yeah. Want to yeah, 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 just this is have, Jeff. So we've been having these problems with the feed coming in and out. Um, the good part of the feed coming out and back in is that every time you come back on, it's mobbing. So I think maybe, I, I know I get like push alerts on my phone whenever some random account is mobbing. So maybe that's the upside to our Wi-Fi and bad phone service situation. Do we get, do we have but, any good questions? Any good comments? Um, so there's been a repeated question about uh, which candidates are not going to make the cut for the Fox News debate. Um, I don't know if you want to move into electoral politics yet, uh, but that has come up a couple of times. Let's let's get right into that. And wow. um, a beer just got delivered to my seat. This is great service. This is the best. I tell you, wow. Donnie Brook on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Uh, wow. The music, the service, everything about this place is Are you like. Trying to get me drunk? Is yes, actually. Um, actually, I should be more worried about that because you're the guy that reports on media, so. This is we like if I have too many drinks, I could reveal too many. But I'm the weekend. You know, I'm, I'm the weekend morning guy. I don't get the secrets. I'm also the weekend morning guy. I found that, that anchors actually don't know much. Here's the thing, I gotta the tell best you, like sources, you're gonna like this. The best sources, the very top and the very bottom. I, I get that because <laughs> when there's a memo that goes out at MSNBC, 
I don't actually get the memo. <laughs> I read about it on your site. I'm like, I'm like, oh, they sent that this morning. I had no idea. And then they're like, oh, there must be some technical reason you didn't get it. And I'm, no, go. I message received. But so let's right. let's tackle this question. Um, and please, like any questions you have, any comments you have, let's. Brian Stelter is the man in media. But really, like, do, does MSNBC or CNN uh, do either network? Uh, moderate the primary debates ever? Or is it so CNN, so we're, we're talking about these debates, these Republican debates. So the first one is going to be on Fox in uh, in August. Now, Fox has said the rule is top 10 in the national polls are in. Nobody else. CNN has said the same thing, right? I think it's, it's the top 10? There's a slight difference, but it's the same general idea, which is the, the top 10 candidates are going to get on the main stage. So in Fox's case, it's only the top 10. That's it. In CNN's case, we're going to have two debates, basically. Uh, a debate for the second tier of lower-ranked people, and then a main debate for the top tier of the top 10. So in, in both cases, you get a clear distinction between the, the, the top 10 candidates and everybody else. And you guys, like, I think the other thing CNN is doing that's, that's different is you've brought in a, 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 a Hugh Hewitt, a conservative radio host, to be one of the moderators for the debates. Or your, your network has brought in Hugh Hewitt, which is... And this gets to the idea that GOP has, uh, the, the RNC has pushed, which is there should be conservative commentators, mm -hmm. conservative journalists questioning the candidates. Right? Because they felt that the media in the 2012 campaign pushed questions that were more like gotcha in nature and that were... The, the one that, that I always hear from them is like the, the, the birth control issue the came George up. Right. George Stephanopoulos brought up birth control. And as much as it's our dream to have Bernie Sanders question the Republicans, and as much <laughs> as it's our dream to have Mike Huckabee questioning the Democrats, we know that's not going to happen. Uh, we know that uh, we're not, that dream's not going to come true. But Bernie Sanders is out there saying, why don't we have debates where we got the Democrats up on the stage, and we got the Republicans up on the stage, and we do it together. And I think... Well, I think the ratings would be very high. But it'll never happen, the right? won't come. Right. I mean, one of the, I guess, basic things I've learned writing about the debate situation in the last couple of cycles is that the candidates have almost all the cards. You know, they can choose to show up or not. So they're only going to choose to show up if they like the terms. But what I want to know is, like, I'm thinking ahead to this Fox debate, and I'm looking at candidates like, I mean, even Rick Perry, who just got in a few days ago, Rick Santorum. Uh, we, we had in our show on Sunday, uh, people forget he's even running, uh, or interested in running, Jim Gilmore, the right. former governor right. of Virginia. If these guys do not make that first debate, if they're not in the top yeah. ten for that first debate, and none of them would be right now, I'm starting to think we're going to see candidates drop out in August and September because there's an incredible power to being in the debates and there's an incredible lack of power to not being in these things when there's going to be like right, six of them. Think about that visual of the first debate on the first stage with only 10 people and what happens when... You're George Pataki and you're in the you're in the coat room or something, right? right? You know? Fox has said they'll bring on those 11th and 12th and 13th and 14th and 15th different times of the day but not on the stage. And CNN has said they'll be on the stage for a different debate almost like... Um, two rounds basically the first round of lower folks and the second round of higher polling folks uh, this tension of polls versus possibilities going based on the polls going based on the possibilities of the person i don't know if there's any perfect answer no it's it's, it's like i'm not smart enough to remember who was it who said about democracy it's 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 the worst possible system except for all the others 
it's the worst possible way of choosing these debates, except for I, I don't know any other way when you have 18 candidates out there. Right. You cannot have 18 candidates on the same stage. Well, the so you've got to thin it some way. I mean, you know, I, I mean, conceivably, theoretically here, maybe you can have four rounds of four each. You randomly mix them up. I don't know. I mean, it almost becomes like speed dating or something. Right. I think everybody who watches the debates gets frustrated when you don't feel like people are actually talking to each other and debating each other. Sometimes the early debates can feel like that. It can feel like it's just people auditioning to the camera, not talking to each other, not, not, not actually debating, right? But how do you how do you get around that? I don't know. Yeah, well, they're all. I, I tell you one thing. They are all welcome on Meerkat Monday. Any <laughs> Republican <laughs> or Democratic candidate who wants to come and sit in this bar, you're welcome. Any week. Judith Riley says that Meerkat should have the second tier debate. Meerkat, George Pataki, you're welcome to come. <laughs> You know, who else can we... Jim Gilmore, come on down to the Lower East Side. Is Gilmore really a possibility? He So he was on our show on Sunday. Jim Gilmore was the governor of Virginia years... I mean, 97 yeah. to yeah. 01, something like that. Here's the, and Very nice guy, I got to say, first of all. And, and I appreciate him doing the show, but I'm looking at this and I'm like, this guy had one... Now, you can't have more than one term as governor of Virginia because of term limits, but he had one term as governor of Virginia. Then years later, he decides to run for president in 2008. Right. Is going absolutely nowhere, so he drops out and runs for the Senate. Loses that race to Mark Warner mm. by 31 points. And then eight years later says, you know what? I'm going to run for president again. <laughs> I don't see it, but <laughs> maybe it's a commentary on the on, on how wide open this whole thing well, is. You and know, you know, I'll admit, it made me a little more interested to book him on Reliable Sources last month because... He hasn't ruled himself out for president. Oh, was he on your show too? So, you know, but this was a month ago when the George Stephanopoulos uh, controversy was at its peak, and Gilmore was the one that went out to say, you know, Stephanopoulos should not be covering politics at all for 2016. Wait, but it was interesting, you know, in in the in the mind of the anchor, it's a little more interesting to have him because he might run for president, even though it might be a slight chance, and it, you know. And there's something about that, right? No, you're, you're absolutely right. We would not have. So, so last Sunday, they, I can tell you, like, they reached out to us. Like, Jim Gilmore's camp, whoever that is, reached out to us last week. It was like, if you'd like him to be available, he's available. Now, if he's Jim Gilmore, former governor of Virginia from 16 years ago, eh, whatever. If he's Jim Gilmore, who might run for president, yeah, we're booking him. And that's exactly, you're right. right. You're right. I mean. that's, that's psychology. There's an incentive there. Now, what's Donald Trump going to do next week? So, okay, yeah, Donald Trump. That's interesting, right? I, I, when, so when I used to write at... This is, uh, a, this is a tough one for the media. How much to cover it, how much to resist it. Well, also, here's the other thing. If, if we're talking about a world where only the top 10 candidates in polling average get in these debates, if you include Donald Trump in the polls right now, he's going to be in the top 10, which means right. a Rick Santorum, a Rick Perry, somebody like that gets right. left out because Donald Trump's included in the poll. I, so when I was at, I used to write for Salon a couple years ago, and I remember in 2011, the last time Donald Trump was, was flirting with running for president, I created something called, I think it was like the, the $184.72 Donald Trump challenge, and it was this. I, I took the value of my savings account, which at that point was about $184. I said, if his name is on the New Hampshire primary ballot, I will pay this money to whoever writes in with the best argument for why I should take him seriously. Because there's just no way this guy's actually going to pull the trigger. I mean, I remember right. he walked up to the starting line in 2000. He wouldn't do it. He did it in 2012. He did it back in 1988. And I'm just like, I, it seems so cynical. But ah, 
he sell. I gotta say, like he sells it well enough that I'm sitting here saying, like, is it different this time? And I and I can't I can't say for 100. percent I don't know. Perhaps the sign of a very good actor. Very good. And, and yet, yeah, you're right. If he's on that debate stage, imagine what happens to that Fox debate or the CNN debate or anybody's debate if he's on the stage. It changes the whole debate, doesn't it? He could. He, I mean, he could change the whole debate. We live in a world where Newt Gingrich, with a couple of one-liners in South Carolina, went from like ten percent to forty percent. And I, Donald Trump on that stage, even if he's just bullshitting, could jump could jump to like thirty percent on on a strong performance. Je- Jeff's telling us we got some questions coming in. Let's see what you guys say. Uh, Eric Stamps has an idea for how to manage all these candidates. Do you have four debate groups with five candidates each? with the top polling four in each of the pods, maybe do it World Cup style, where at the end you have the four winners of the four debates face off against each other. Or do live poll, how about, I don't think he's saying this, this is my spin. Do live polling, Hunger Games style, so you've gotta like bring out your base to watch this, like keep clicking to like vote for your favorite candidate to win and then your top four. So, so okay, so this like, this like, click for the winner of the debate as it's happening the first thing i guarantee you will happen if you do that is rand paul comes in first yes, place so sure. so rand paul i mean that is the most every online straw poll is gonna be won by rand paul every debate straw so so rand paul gets her so this idea though of like a pod system for these candidates you know i think so much of like when you look at debates and you look at great debate moments that like make the difference for candidates it it depends who you're matched up against so, like, saying we're going to have five groups of four or four groups of five or something, if you're Scott Walker, maybe you need to be against Chris Christie to shine. If you're Chris Christie, maybe you need to be against Rick Perry. I don't – I think you got to have one debate, and that's why I that's – why Which brings me to, to the point that viewers who really care aren't going to turn the channel during a debate. These debates can be longer than they're usually scheduled for. I don't know how long Fox and CNN is going to work, but these debates can go on for a while. I don't think people who really care are going to change the channel at 10 o'clock or whatever time. You don't think after two hours they start to... I, you know, maybe I'm too much of a junkie. I'd wa- no, I'd watch it too, yeah. But I, I would keep watching. I think it might only start to get good when they've been up there for a while and they're starting to sweat a little bit and the pressure's mounting. Just, just I just think it's going to be so interesting the next few weeks. These, these candidates who are like, their entire future depends on getting into this thing. What are they going to do to get into it? And by do, what you mean is, what are they going to say? Right. What are they going to say? I mean, you're saying like Jim Gilmore goes on your show and bashes George Stephanopoulos. That's kind of small scale, I guess. But that's it's, that's the idea is you're looking for these avenues to say something that is going to just strike a chord. It's going to break through. Right. It's going to get cable news bookers to pay attention to it. What do you think it's of the... trending on Twitter. What do you think of the Stephanopoulos thing? It seems to have died down. He seems like... So he's not going to... He. I, I think it landed on Stephanopoulos is not going to uh, moderate debates next year. He agreed to that. Is that what it was? And then... That's what he said, although a lot of people would say back to that he was never going to anyway. That hmm. would be the, the RNC response to that. There's this weird, interesting form of pressure where the RNC wants the networks to pick a moderator everybody can agree with. Stephanopoulos might, might not have been that guy ever. But uh, it, did, it did die down. It went away so quickly, partly because ABC uh, tried to um, uh, stop it before it could start by, by supporting him, and partly because a lot of conservatives, a lot of GOP folks do trust him. A lot of the candidates actually like George Stephanopoulos. It might be hard for to believe among some 
of the, the more kind of conservative people who remember the 90s, right? No, and, and people who want to stir up media bias. Right. But if you're uh, Huckabee or you're Santorum, you actually choose Stephanopoulos to talk to. Both of those guys sat down with Stephanopoulos for interviews. I'm one of those people, like, I permanently live in the 1990s, so I'll always remember George Stephanopoulos as Clinton's guy, but that's just me. Jeff says we got more questions. No, what do we got? Pe people are kind of into this idea of an endurance-style debate. <laughs> Andy says, go old school, bring in Mark Summers, the GAC, and physical challenge. Scott mentions uh, cage match debates, Mad Max style. Brendan says, isn't the, isn't the prospect of all these... Uh, crazy Republicans really scary to the actual GOP. Um, Nathaniel describes it as an endurance sport. The pastry uh, plate describes it as survival style. People compare it to a filibuster. Your Meerkat audience really likes the idea of a no holds barred uh, World Cup. Stay. Oh, the, yes. My absolute favorite. I don't know how you feel about the pastry plate. I love. The up pastry plate. No, I don't mean the one on the table. I mean the Twitter account. No, I, I consider the up pastry plate Twitter account to be the the honorary executive producer of this Meerkat show. He's 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 been he's been a, a he or she or it or <laughs> I would have or no all the above. I mean, it's a group. I would have no way of knowing. It could I do be. I love all these game show ideas though. The combine the debates with game shows. There's something there. Here, here's something what there. I here's what I, here's what I wonder. It, it, it's um talk about like. The merger of debates with reality television, and I, 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 take me back to the beginning. So you tell me, you were a uh, you were a cable news junkie. Is that what got you into this, or were you were you just a television junkie? What got what got you into this in the first place? I think it was it was perceiving that cable news mattered more and more and more, but it wasn't getting enough respect. Keep in mind, this is like 2004. So this is this is uh, Iraq War and Peter Jennings, Tom yep. Brokaw era nightly news, and they were more important than they were today. We can say that, but it was also Fox News leapfrogging CNN. It was MSNBC at the time trying anything before it, it realized that Keith Olbermann was, was part of the answer. It was CNN trying to figure out what the heck it should do because of Fox. It was a really interesting time, and. Uh, it struck me as just a, there was a night where Peter Jennings went on TV and said, I can't do his voice, but he said, uh, as viewers watched on cable news this afternoon, and I realized he's only covering that car chase because of CNN and Fox and MSNBC. Yeah. Otherwise, cable news is, was shaping and framing the news cycle. It was true before, it's even more true now, but it was, it was so interesting back then, in the mid-2000s, to see cable news kind of becoming the dominant medium. I, uh... Welcome. We got some fans here too. Studio audience. This is. I'll take another one. A Corona, please. Yeah. Do you want another one, Brian? Are I'm you? Okay for now. you They're taking orders. But this that, is that great. Was, that was my. That was my thing, and, and then I expanded to cover broadcast news as well. I never wanted to be on TV, but I was always amazed by the power of TV. TV is so powerful. When when done right and used right and all of that. How do you feel? How do you feel on the air versus watching? On here, here's my experience. So. For years, I, I mean, I was a cable news junkie, and I was a cable news junkie back when there was nobody else but CNN. And, I mean, that's, that's basically through the 1990s. What's your first CNN memory? Um, the Gulf War. The Gulf War in, um, in 1991. Bernie Shaw anchoring that. Um, I, I, I was one of those people, like, I, I am... I remember I was in sixth grade when the Gulf War happened, and I was convinced that this was like my world as I knew it was going to end because of this war. I, I all of the panic about that war. It's so funny you look back at it now. And by it was, the way, that is a 
very revealing thing about the psychology of television news. Panic? <laughs> that, that we can feel like we're there and we can feel like it's so emotional and we're so connected to it and invested in it. It was also, it was also the, I mean, the, the, to go back to 1991, the thing I remember about the climate was, I, I realize this now, like, the adults in my world back then, because I'm, I'm, you know, 11, 12 years old, yeah. whatever it was, the adults in my world, their view of the world at that point was shaped so much by the last major American conflict, which was Vietnam. And so what I'm hearing from all the adults in my life is, we remember what happened 20 years ago. We lost friends. We lost brothers. We lost sisters. We don't ever want to see this happen again. And we're going to be in the desert for 20 years if we do this. And so I, I internalize all of that, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is a terrible thing. And I, I still remember watching on CNN and being like, is Iraq even fighting? It was like, it was, it was an amazing, it was an amazing. And then I, I can look at that, and I can be like, so I see what happened. Like, we went from, we went from fearing the next Vietnam to saying, like, this is fucking easy. And then 10 years later, we're looking at, should we go back in Iraq? And, well, why not? It was so easy the last time. And it was like, I, I just, that, I could see how that seemingly small war really, I think, changed. I think it really changed history. One of my defining scenes just... oh, no, defining scene memories is Walter Rogers on the back of a Humvee driving through the desert in 2003, talking to Aaron Brown live on television. We've had several first television wars, but this was the first live television war in 2003. Because of the embeds, like David Bloom and Walter Rogers driving to the desert, you might look back and say that made it look easy too. That you could see it live, you could be there with them, you could watch them as they invaded. You remember why, I mean, I think it was April 2003, watching the Saddam statue fall. What a moment that was, right? In my junior year, I was in my world studies class in high school. Which I realized dates me. Uh, actually, no, that's not true. I was, yeah, no, that's right. I was about to graduate high school, watching it in world history, and uh, even then, it felt like a made-for-TV moment, which we now know it sort of was a made-for-TV moment. That and, and Bush a month after that on the aircraft carrier and, and uh, mission accomplished and all that. Jeff, what do you got for us? Well, I was just gonna say I don't. I was gonna say that my predominant memory of my CNN addiction, which I was similar, was the OJ trial, where it was the summer after my senior year of high school, and it was like, the OJ Simpson trial was on every day, and like that's what I did for my entertainment for a significant part of that summer. And it was just wall to wall, like all day, every day. Like Greta Van Susteren obviously got her start with the OJ trial. That was like so dominant. Uh, it was gre- The OJ trial was Greta Van Susteren, Roger Cossack, right? Yes, uh, and, and Jack Ford at NBC, I think, uh, kind of yeah. OJ really said it. Yeah. The OJ trial. So I remember. And helped build up the Today Show and Nightly News as well because they took the trial more seriously than ABC and CBS. These big events have a way of doing that. Do you, the, other one, the other thing I remember about the OJ trial, I feel, and I may be wrong on this, but was <clears throat> that was around the time that Leno passed Letterman in the late night ratings and Leno did OJ he, remember Leno had like the dancing Edos Judge Edo and he it was so stupid right but he like he, he Leno embraced OJ as a cultural phenomenon and Letterman was above it and I, I I always felt like that was around the time that Leno passed Letterman and never looked back and I always wondered if that was part of it like I mean I was a Letterman guy I gotta admit like you know I never are you gonna be a Colbert guy now I'm not sure I so I saw the um I saw the video last week. He put the video online, and I thought 
I, you know, my reaction to watching that video, the, the Stephen Colbert CBS video that came out last week, was like I've been trying to figure out. So Stephen Colbert, the Comedy Central character, was a send-up of Bill O'Reilly and the conservative Republican, you know, uh, 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 cable news host. And I was like, how is he going to function as a non? Yes. And and what I saw last week was I was like, you know what? Actually, there's like 90% overlap between. I think what he's. I think he's just going to try to be a blowhard. It's not. It doesn't have to be conservative. It's just right. like a character of narcissism, and I think it kind of it could kind of work. I mean, I was laughing at the video. I don't, you know. Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. Interesting. Where do you think? Where do you think? Um, the whole TV landscape is in such transition right now. Late nights in transition. The Sunday morning shows. I think you wrote about this thing. Are are in transition. Um, the evening news. People are still trying to figure out. Like, yeah. Wh- yeah. where is this all gonna like? Where is this all gonna shake out? I think rule number one is when you make a change in TV, you usually lose some viewers. So there's a short-term loss, but there can be long-term gain. Colbert, over time, can grow a big audience, and, and, and I think he will. Um, the, where's this all going to go? Obviously, it's mostly going to go online. Uh, virtually everything is going to be streaming in one form or another. And that's not enough. Thank you. <laughs> Here's my drink. <laughs> this brought to you by. Corona. It's it's all going online. You're saying so. It's like. But it's but it's as much as things feel like they're changing, and it's absolutely true. There's a revolutionary period of change going through. There, people still want to watch people. People still want to be entertained. They still want to be informed. They still want unique programming. Like there's all those truths. I think are going to remain true. But is it through this revolution? Here's what I wonder. Like our, I, I was thinking about this. Like I, I was watching the. The last Letterman, and I'll admit, like I, I loved Letterman, but I probably, I probably watched ten original episodes the last ten years it was on the air. I loved Letterman of the '80s and the early '90s. That's right. the guy I remember. Right. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, it feels to me now like if it's the definition of success on television is a a discrete three minute clip that can be turned into an online viral thing, and if it's not that, it doesn't work. It's definitely a definition of success. But you look at Letterman's ratings, and he was still drawing millions of viewers for the full hour. So Weren't they all old, though? Or me? Not me, no, but like... Some were old. Yeah. Well, sure. Sure, increasingly everything on broadcast is older is older school. And cable news is older school. I'm struck by how... This is... People think I'm strange when I say this. I'm impressed by how high cable news ratings are. I'm impressed by how high... Oh, I like this. Continue. <laughs> Especially on MSNBC on Saturday mornings. A, uh, as I mentioned before, the uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm an obsessive about these ratings. I look at them all very closely. Given the, the narrative that exists, which is television is withering on the vine, the ratings don't prove that out. People are addicted to television. They may become addicted over time to streaming television as opposed to linear television, right? Or on-demand as opposed to live. Or Netflix TV versus cable set-top box TV. But they're... People love TV. That's the one constant, I think, covering TV for 10 years. People are addicted to it. And if they're watching a little more Netflix and a little less ESPN or a little less CNN, they're still addicted to TV. That's my very upbeat. And by the way... I love it. Think about this. When I jumped in the New York Times 2013 on CNN, before I jumped, I had to think to myself, do I think CNN's a viable business? Do I believe in the future of the cable bundle? And obviously, I concluded I did. 
I think people are going to keep paying for cable in some form. Well, I mean, the, the case that would be made, I mean, for CNN, obviously, is like it, it, the brand is breaking news. And so whenever something major happens in the world, people are going to want to tune in to, you know, to CNN. And MSNBC builds so much around politics. We, we, we've done so much around politics. Fox, obviously, a, a more kind of conservative, you know, a conservative take. I mean, my thing is, like, I look at it and I'm like, I think people like, I think back to the, the period to me is about... 2006 to 2012 where I don't know this country is ever going to be as into politics as it was in those years Iraq out of control you know Obama emerges he has to run against Hillary Clinton and then the economy collapses and McCain has Sarah Palin with him and the Tea Party emerges and can the first black president get reelected and all of these stories that people have never seen in their lifetime all these forces like coming together and I, I, you know, I, I looked at 2016, and I, sometimes I wonder, and I'm like, well, I don't know if it's Hillary and it's Scott Walker, or if it's Hillary and it's Bush. Is that going to excite people the way are, are those are those pieces in place the way they are? Am I the only one that's excited? I'm excited. I'm always I'm excited. excited. I'm excited for any election, believe me. But like, I mean, we could talk, you know, city council races. But Jeff's got some more some more stuff here. I mean, there there have been a couple comments about the fact that you drink Corona Light. I think Frank said that you're. It's not light. It's not light. Frank said that Frank said that you're better than that, but he's much much worse than than Corona Light uh, for sure. Um, but besides that, there have been uh, some repeated questions wanting your take on recent Christie news that I actually don't know what they're referring to. So I've been holding off because I, I I kind of don't know what to ask. But it's something about a Brian Murphy. Uh, piece and there's something about uh, was there some kind of indictment or subpoena no not indictment uh, subpoena some, <laughs> some kind of subpoena so, was there some kind of subpoena all right all right let's all right let's let's a couple of things here let's first of all Christy. well first of all it's not Corona Light this is Corona Extra the problem is I usually drink Modelo at this bar they're out of it tonight so I said can I get Corona this is Corona Extra it's not Corona Light anyway Christy. So what's the news on Christie? It's uh, it is incredibly granular, and it's not um, it's it's about the scheming and the maneuvering that took place about five years ago in the Christie administration to move out of office the very popular sheriff, Democratic sheriff of a big county in North Jersey, and the idea that. In the process of doing this, Chris Christie, according to these reports, told people around him uh, about one of the employees of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey lying to a grand jury. And Christie had been the U.S. attorney. And so for Christie, as a former U.S. attorney, as a former officer of the court like that. It's not legal. uh, Right. So... does this, this is all from David Wildstein. This is according to a statement that David Wildstein submitted to the court that has to do with a lawsuit that was filed by that former sheriff. Is he motivated? Is, is anybody awake yet? I, I, <laughs> it's, just, it's so granular and it's so complicated. I mean, look, I mean... But you have to pay attention, don't you? Because once in a while, something like that does go up. Well, I mean, the, the bridge, the story of the bridge closure itself, if it's what it looks like, right. you know, I mean, you're talking about... Chris Christie and the people around him being so obsessed with running up a huge margin in his 2013 re-election campaign so that he could run for president in 2016 that they sought retribution against the mayor 
of a town of 35,000 people by creating a traffic jam that would somehow redound against... I mean, the, the, the complexity and the, the just how... how, how the, the level you have to get to, to it, it, it's amazing. That's the amazing thing to me. Like, I covered New Jersey politics. My, my first job in journalism, my, my second job in journalism, was covering New Jersey politics. And, I mean, I remember covering county races in, in, in New Jersey and saying, like, this is too obscure for my audience, my audience of New Jersey. And I'm telling the same friggin' stories to a national audience now. It's like, I, but, I, you know. It's interesting, Christy. Can I give a shout-out to John Dickerson? Because John interviewed Christy for Face the Nation, his first Face the Nation on Sunday. And, and one of the questions I thought worked really well was, you're a truth teller. You're a straight talker. So why don't you just say you're running for president? What did he say? Is it well? Yeah, he had some way of dodging it and saying he hasn't decided yet. He's going to decide <laughs> this month. But the whole game every candidate plays on both sides about not announcing, not not deciding until they announce. It's all so. Oh, the Jeb, the, the Jeb Bush I'm thing takes skip, it. I'm right. Skip that part in every single announcement. I'd pay a lot of money. My, my favorite is the new the new thing that I, that has emerged this cycle is. Ladies and gentlemen, I am announcing today on June 8th that on June 28th, I will have an announcement. The announcement that you will have an announcement is the new... Right. I mean, because we're waiting on Bush next week, Jindal 24th, Trump. But they all set a date where they will make an announcement about what... It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Do we have any more Democrats joining the race? I think think this is the field. I think it's Jim Webb, Lincoln Chafee, uh, Bernie Sanders, Martin O'Malley... And Hillary Clinton. You didn't mention Joe Biden. I don't think Biden's running. Do you? I'm asking you. I think I think Biden would like to run. In in a, it's if you told Biden you got a real shot at this, I think he would run in a heartbeat. But I think when you're vice president of the United States, you can't run unless you're going to win. Right. If you're going to lose to Hillary by 40 points, then you're talking about your legacy being that that's not good on your record. You know. A lot of Twitter tonight is McKinney, and I wonder what the what the protest movement does to the Democrats. Wait, is what? Is McKinney. Is the protest in McKinney. The, the protest about oh, uh, the most recent... Yes, oh, in Texas. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm saying Cynthia McKinney, the former oh, congresswoman. I was like, what? Okay. Here's, here's the reason I asked. You were talking about how we can't have... Well, we may not have another window like 2006, 2012. I wonder if this movement is going to increasingly matter. It's going to matter more and more and more. I'm really interested in how it affects cable news, how cable news has amplified it. And how it's going to be the election? Because every week or two we get one right. of these stories. And I, I watched this one today, and I—I I mean, I had the same reaction that I think just about everybody watching that video had, which was—I mean, it was, it was horrifying to watch the video uh, of the, in, in McKinney, Texas today. The video that came out from the police going to this pool party. I tell you, I was—I was watching. I, I, I think this was on CNN where I saw this. I'm, I'm pretty sure, but. Uh, they, they interviewed a few people in the neighborhood. Right. And there were some people in the neighborhood. And there was... There, uh, really complex story. Right. Who were saying, what you see in that video is not nearly the full picture right. of what happened. And, right. it, and I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm sitting there. My conclusion is not that I know or, oh, wow, that debunks right. it. But right. my conclusion is like, in a way, these videos are... They're obviously incredibly valuable. They're obviously incredibly powerful. And... In, in, in an atmosphere where in the past the police were just reflexively believed on everything, isn't it great that we have these videos emerging now that, that challenge that story when it needs to be challenged? But at the same time, it does make me think, are there instances where there is another part of this that we're not seeing? Right, right. I just find myself wondering, every two weeks we get a video like this, or every week, 
you combine that with the fight for 15, you combine that with a real disruptive under the surface anger about inequality in all its forms, and whether that becomes something that matters to the election or not. Do, do mass protests, do street protests, do flare-ups we see in cities like Baltimore end up really changing the election? So take like take Bernie Sanders. I was up in uh, Burlington for his uh, announcement a couple weeks ago. Yeah. At Burlington, Vermont, which is a city of about 40,000 people. Yeah. By the way, I, I left Vermont saying I'm going to move here. I, I, I love it. We changed... I, I, we changed. Somebody, I don't know who, changed my Wikipedia page to claim I went to the University of Vermont after this because I, I now have kinship with the state. American flatbread in Burlington, really great place. Oh no, no, we went to uh, we went to the Vermont brewery, but did you get to try the Hetty Tacos? No. It's, it's I guess the most see. famous. Not not at that brewery. It's a different brewery. It's probably like the hardest to find beer in the, in the country. What's it called? Heavy Topper. I didn't know. It's only brewed in Vermont and only available in Vermont. What? And only rarely. Have you ever had this? No, I've never had it. That's why I. We went I'm to the we went to the Vermont Teddy I've Bear never Company. Met ever had it. We went to the Vermont Teddy Bear Company. Right. We went to uh, uh, Kichi Gorge or Quichi Gorge. I don't know. I've never yeah. heard of it. it, 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 it. shaking her head off camera. I'm <laughs> Are we going to? An I know. I, I well, you know what I did? Like I, I snuck out. Like the rally was at five o'clock, and we were doing live hits during the day. And at about two o'clock, I had a gap, and I went to the I went to the University of Vermont campus, which is right there in Burlington, and I I, I am a huge college basketball fan. And the University of Vermont pulled off one of the greatest all-time upsets in the history of the NCAA tournament 10 years ago. They beat Syracuse with this incredible 35-foot jump shot from this guy named TJ Sorrentine. So I snuck in with, with one of our producers to the gym at the University of Vermont. It was closed. We snuck in, and we got to go on the court, and I was like, this is really cool. But, but anyway, Bernie Sanders. Um, <laughs> So there were there were five thousand at that rally in Burlington that day. There were five thousand people. Right. He's since going out to Iowa and he's drawing crowds of the yes. same size. He went to Minnesota. Yes. There was a straw poll in Wisconsin this weekend, a Democratic convention in Wisconsin. The final result was Hillary forty nine, Sanders forty one, and right. people say, well, these straw polls. They, so, but that's what I'm trying to get at. This idea that maybe there's this movement beneath yeah. the surface. It's gonna really. I go back and forth. I, I also remember in the 2000 campaign, Ralph Nader having rallies around the country that attracted 15,000 people. And I remember I was a I was a senior in college. His last rally, the final Ralph Nader rally in the 2000 campaign, was at my school the night before the election of 2000. And the, this is a very apathetic school, Boston University. Um, there were 4,000 people in the armory for this speech. And I remember it. And he's talking, he's railing against the timber industry. And, all, and I'm like, where the hell is this stuff coming from? And I, and I sat there leaving saying, this guy is going to get 10% tomorrow. This guy, like, people are going to be shocked what Ralph Nader gets tomorrow. And he ended up with 2.7%. And I remember Ron Paul. So everybody and, was there voted for Right. And I, and I wonder with Sanders, I don't know, but I wonder with Sanders, is it the same phenomenon where, oh, yeah, he's got supporters. But when you go to his rally, they're all in that room. That's what I wonder. You've had a lot of... There's just been kind of nonstop chatter going on here tonight, but a lot of it kind of doesn't make for great questioning. Just, you're, a lot of nice comments. You've had a lot of... Uh, you've had a very steady viewership tonight. We're at 160, and you've been over 100 
the whole time, despite the... This is a record audience, by the way. Record audience. All the Brian Stelter fans are on, on Meerkat tonight. Um, You've outdone our interview with former President Carter. <laughs> right. Um, any thoughts on the, the shakeups in the Jeb Bush campaign? That was another question that's come up a couple of times. I, so I did. announcing next week? So next that's Monday. Not the announcement, that's an announcement. No, the announcement of the announcement came last <laughs> week. Now next Monday, Jeb Bush is going to announce his candidacy. So here's the here's the funny thing. This guy who Jeb. So today Jeb Bush lost this top campaign aide, David. Now I can't pronounce the last name. It's Kuchel, Kuchel. I don't know. Coco. I don't. Okay. Right. So the the significance though is this. He is the reason Mitt Romney is not running right now. It was back in January. When Jeb Bush got this guy to come to his campaign, he had been a Romney guy. Romney looked at it and said, wow, if I'm losing this guy to Bush, forget it. Bush has got the bandwagon. It's over. Now, six months later, this guy's out with Bush. And to me, it's like, it's. It, I'm not saying it means Mitt Romney should get back in the race or anything, but I, I, I've been saying, like, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be Walker. I don't know if it's going to be Rubio. I don't think it's going to be Bush. So how, what percentage of Americans do you think... Well, let's, let's, let's put ourselves in the voting booth in, in November, what, 7th, 2016? It could be. Whatever day that is. <laughs> let's, let's put ourselves in the booth. It's Bush and it's Clinton on the, the ballot. What percentage of Americans look at those two names and just simply refuse to consider Bush based on the past? Right. Versus what percentage refuse to consider Clinton? I'm a, I mean... It, do you have any sense of... But the, but the, I mean, it's truly... the. the I'm getting at. No, no, I, 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 I agree. Like, if you're going to, like... Look, Hillary Clinton deserves to be judged on her own. Jeb Bush deserves to be judged on his own. Right. People cannot get out of their head that her husband was president, that his brother and father were president. There's a certain element of and PTSD some people have toward Bush. They, they don't have toward Clinton. They don't have toward Clinton. I agree. I agree. And, and yet, like you said, they should be judged on their own merits. And... Yeah, that no, that's why I mean my my read on this race is like I, I for a long time I was saying I think I think it'll be Scott Walker. And I'm only saying that because I'm like I don't think it'll be Bush and it has to be somebody else. I am now at the point if 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 you put a gun to my head and said who is the Republican nominee gonna be in twenty sixteen, I would say it's gonna be Marco Rubio. That's I, I, I there are four Republicans I think could win the nomination, realistically. Jeb Bush, I'll still put him in that category. Marco Rubio, Scott Walker, John Kasich. I put those four, I think they have the potential to put it all together in a way that like a Cruz or a Paul doesn't. And right now I look at Marco Rubio and I'm like, I don't think anybody out there is exciting the base of that party like Marco Rubio is. And yet, like you were saying earlier, let's see who says what to make sure they're in the debate. Who right. among the top, who wants to make sure they're in the top 10? For that first oh, by the way, the funniest thing—the funniest thing I saw today—is we all make fun of George Pataki, but there was a poll in New York today that has him at 11 percent. Just in New York State. Just in New York State. So Pataki meant him. So the last 10 minutes, there's been a lot of comments about Jerry Brown and Bernie Sanders being like the Jerry Brown figure this year. Jerry Brown, 92 against Bill Clinton, uh, kind of the progressive insurgent candidate, uh, and then just a lot of general. Jerry Brown enthusiasm in general happening in the comments. Any thoughts on uh, Bernie Sanders is the Jerry Brown of 2016? I, you ask that question as I look at my screen and somebody's saying, John Kasich, are you drunk, Steve? <laughs> He's the governor of Ohio. It's a major swing state. I, I, you may not like him, but I think the Republicans might. But anyway, um, Jerry Brown. So 
I remember the 92 campaign. Did you follow it at all in 92? You're probably you're younger than me. You were seven. Oh, my God. No, you didn't remember. I remember the 800 number. It was 1-800-426-1112. Wow. We <laughs> Jerry Brown is one of my all-time favorite political figures. He's just so fascinating. Like this guy is elected. He's the legacy guy who's elected governor at like 34 in California. He refuses to live in the governor's residence. He lives in a one-room apartment. He drives this like beat-up car. He becomes obsessed with like interplanetary travel. They call him Governor Moonbeam. He dates Linda Ronstadt. He moves to Japan. He moves to India. He runs for president again. I mean, he's been, he was the mayor of Oakland. It's, it's an incredible story, but do I think he's, no, I, 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 I think we've seen the end. I think we've seen the limit of, I mean, he's, he's fighting the drought in California. It's, it's quite a thing, but you know, you have any thoughts on Jerry Brown? I just learned a lot about him. That was fantastic. When are you going to write another book? Well, your first book. So I'm, I'm working on my first book. Um, I am currently, I've written 2,200 words. That's it. <laughs> You're supposed to say good when's start. It, when's it due? August 2016. Oh, oh, well, you got plenty of time. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm surprised you started. I, every day I look at it, I'm like, I'm never going to finish this thing. Oh, my God. I hope my editor's not watching this right now. I you wrote one I on, doubt, now I you wrote, you wrote one. I did. I, I wrote it on Morning TV. What was that? Did you like writing it? it? Was, no, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm not trying to scare you. No, no, I, I can appreciate that. It was that. the worst thing I've ever done. And not the worst. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. What made it so hard? What it was, was the... It was very good when it was done. I think it was the hardest because I was used to writing thousand-word stories. I never tried to write a hundred-thousand-word story. It was just... It required different muscles than I'd ever used before. How long did it take so you? like working out for the first time in months, it was very difficult. It took, um... There was probably a four-month period of intensive writing and rewriting. But that, it was, this was more of a rush job than yours is. This was more of a, we got to get it out as soon as possible. It's a morning show or tell-all, so it's got to be out soon. I would like to try again someday when it's not rushed, when I have time, where I can write 2,000 words, and that's it for a while. Like, I can, you know, that, that would be more interesting. But it's something where, like, it's like you're finding... Oh, do I have two free hours here? I gotta like, right. I gotta cram, me, and I gotta. Morning hours, like four to seven a.m. were my prime writing periods. Oh my god! My wife would wake up at now, now wife, then girlfriend would wake up at three thirty. So I'd get up, be up when she's up, work then. It was actually, it's pre-dawn hours are great. No one else is awake. Uh, no emails coming in uh, yet. Uh, people are on Twitter. Uh, very productive hours. There's one Starbucks open in New York City. Well, in Manhattan. 24-7. In, in Astor Place. Only one. Wait, is the Astor Place one open? As far as I know. I wait, wait which one? Time. Maybe there's two. This is a huge... Which one? Where... The one in Times Square. 43rd and Broadway. 43rd That's, and Broadway. Maybe, I'm going to look this up. Would you go and sit there and write? No, I would go there at 4 a.m., pick up my coffee and my, uh, uh, my yogurt parfait, and then go to work. <laughs> but that was the key, was having one open Starbucks. I used to, I mean, my, my, when I was in New Jersey, I didn't have an office. I, I had my apartment. Every day I had my routine, and I would end up, there was a, um, uh, what was it called? A, um, what's that, Panera Bread. Oh, I love Panera With free Wi-Fi. That was my oh, office. The best. I would go there every day, and I would come in, I would order two, two bagels plain oh. and a, a drink for soda, and I would just refill it like 20 times, and I would write my, I would do my interviews in the morning, and I would write my story in the afternoon. And that was my routine. And you know, I, I, I loved it. I did free Wi-Fi. You see the same people every day. Occasionally, I would splurge on the cookies. 
Panera's great. You know, they're in the city now. Yeah. They are, they've been moving in. Sometimes I have to go back to my suburban roots. So you're from Maryland? Are you from Maryland originally? Uh, Maryland outside D.C. Which, what's, uh, what's, did this, they, Damascus, like northern Montgomery County. Da, wait, da, Damascus? Damascus. Like Syria? Like Syria. It was as far north as you could go and still be in Montgomery County. We, we were closer to Baltimore than D.C., but we got D.C. TV stations. Okay. So we associated with D.C. It's one of those interesting things about, that we won't really have in the future, with broadcast airwaves. Right. Determining where you associate your which I which I theme. we're losing. By the way, we're losing something with that, aren't we? I think we are a little bit, a little bit. I, it used to, you know, when I was a kid, I, saw, I would I, call into my local station in, 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 in DC. I would call in and report the snow tornadoes. I would measure the snow. You were say, you were a weather watcher. They would say Brian in Damascus reports nine inches of snow on the ground. They had no idea Brian in Damascus was nine years old. <laughs> That's all. Okay. Can I tell you, I used to, well, I, so I was a, a, a veteran of the, the, the Boston Airwaves, and I was a, I used to call into the talk radio shows, and um, there was a TV show on Channel 16 in Boston, but the other thing, the thing that I loved, though, was, so I'm from Massachusetts, we get the Boston stations, but we also got where I lived, we could get Channel 9 in New Hampshire, the one commercial outlet in New Hampshire, and we, see, New Hampshire primary every four years, that was like ground zero. All the candidates are giving right. interviews, Florida's all the... Based, Manchester. Manchester, yeah. So we would get the signal. I mean, I live 10 miles from the New Hampshire border. So I used to like... There was a time in my life growing up where I watched that like every day. And I felt like... The thing I remember was like, I'm like 14 years old. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm a Massachusetts kid, but I feel like I'm a New Hampshire person. Right. And you, right. I, I started adopt, adapting sort of the like... Right. I, I just I felt New Hampshire, and I'm like I'm not. I'm like I'm outside Boston, but I you know it's it's I, I love local. There are these like television and radio communicate like a local yeah. culture, That's and right. you know right. it's one of the reasons why like we're talking about revolution in TV. Some of these things are going to stay in some We need local TV stations. We need local radio stations. There might not be as many of them and streamed online, but we're gonna have them, right? They're still our our first kind of basic news gathering resources in communities. Do you ever when you're on air now think back and you feel like you're that kid who was watching and calling in and I know I do. I no I seriously do. And and it's like and that's I mean that's where the game show thing that we do comes from yeah. and like yeah. there are times when I'll catch myself and I'll be like because I, I, you're talking about like the morning hours being so productive. To me, they're hell. Like there is nothing worse to me than on a, on a Saturday morning, like get the alarm clock going off at 4:15. 4:15. Yeah. What time do you get up? Well, mine's at 11, only on Sundays. But actually, to your to your point, I find there's no such thing as too early to get up. Oh, fuck you. I usually oh, wait. <laughs> tell me more. I usually get up between five and 5:30 for an 11 a.m. show. What time but, are you? What time are you in the office? By six. Oh my God. But can but, you believe this? But I always feel like I should have gotten up earlier. There's no such thing as too early for me. What time do you go to sleep? Oh, I don't know. Uh, 10 or 11. It doesn't matter. I can stay up till 12. It doesn't matter. I'm getting up. You don't feel 10. it? No, I'm, there's so much adrenaline pumping. Oh, but my again, God. Only one hour a week. <laughs> you're doing it two times a week. You're doing it for a couple hours. It's still, it's still no excuse. You're, you're on You're on during the week. You're, you're doing working it. Earlier. But I, I, for me, there's no thing that's too early when I have to do this show because I, I want to be, I, I never, I, I always feel like I could be more prepared when I go on. Wow. I mean, I, I mean yeah, my, some of my producers from the TV show are here. Maybe they're switch they're laughing because we, we go on the air at 8 a.m. and they will walk into my office at, what, 7.20 in the morning and I'll be passed out. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> just, 
we got a few minutes left. Let's see. We got any more? Uh, I mean, well, everybody watching has been really fun and lively tonight. It hasn't really uh, translated well for things for me to ask you. They've all been kind of having a good time talking to each other throughout this. A while ago, there was an idea that they would like to see you try to cook something on the show sometime, and I was thinking to myself, We've done we, that. And we could do like a meerkat of like cooking with Steve, couldn't we? We could go to your place and like get, yeah, Adam could help <laughs> out in the kitchen, and we Here. could do a little like how to. They want you to see you, see you cook a grilled cheese sandwich. Here are the things. Here are the things that I am certified to cook in my apartment. I got a. Um, a few years ago, I purchased a, uh, a bamboo steamer. So I can now, in theory, I can steam vegetables with this. The, right. the problem is I, 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 I got the wrong size pan. You're supposed to put a steamer in a pan. I got a too small pan. So the steamer, I, I was resting on the edges of the pan, and it caught on fire. So we can't really use a steamer. But I can also cook eggs. I can, I can scramble eggs. Or order on steamers. I'm really good at ordering. <laughs> Can I? T- <laughs> Are you? Do you cook? My wife does. I I watch. And, I and your wife, by the way, is a is a, uh, a, a name so in her own right. Eight thirty in the morning. The morning topic to put on New York One. She was the TV star of the family, and then I got into TV too. So everything she has told me has turned out to be true. All of the lessons that I've is had that, to learn. Is that good or bad? Oh, it's good. Oh, okay. It's good because she's been proven right along the way. As, you know, and the, not, I can't think of any of the, the specific brilliant insights. One of my lessons has been nothing in TV is permanent. You know, mm. things change from week to week. Uh, you do the best show you can every week. Apparently, if you're going to be 415, maybe I should get up later. Maybe maybe uh, I've learned something here tonight. Yeah, no, your work ethic, frankly, embarrasses me. Um, let me, I want to close. We're low on time, but I want to ask you this. Um, because I watch your show, and... This is a. This is going to sound like a trite thing, but I do want to ask you about this. It seems like you're really close to your guests. I am. What? What is that? You're like a three inches away from them. I am as close to my guests as I am to you. Is it weird to ask the question and then be like three inches from their face as their answer? Is it weird for you to be far away? Well, I. You can ask again. My producers will tell you. Like, I'll tell you where it comes from. Yeah. What is that? Is that your choice? It is. I. I started anchoring in DC because I'm only on, you know, I'm on once a week. I guest hosted three times, and then they gave me the job, which is crazy. I admit. And uh, in DC, when I would anchor the show, the camera was always so far away, and I can't read the prompter. I need glasses, so I would always beg the camera to come closer so I could read without glasses. But I, I always found like when the camera was far away, it was hard for me to imagine the viewer being right there. And when they bring the camera closer. It's like I can interact with the viewer at home. Okay. So I find myself looking at the camera a lot. Even in when we're on the free shot, I'll look at the camera. I'll peek. There's something about the cameras being close that makes me feel more comfortable. Oh, so it's... I meant more like the physical proximity to well, the guest, but like... I think because like, the cameras are close, the guest is close too. Right. I mean, it, it looks like you're, you're sitting across a table that may be like eight inches long. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, it, it, I'm right. just like, right. you can smell but their it breath. Does, it like, does allow me to reach over and shake their hand, which I like. Maddow does that. I love that Rachel does that. She reaches yes, out. Yes, you're right. She, she shakes. Yes, guests. yes. She has that extra moment, which could feel like wasted time, but it's not. Because it feels like there's a connection. Um... Yeah, I you know uh, I, I like it. I like it, but I, but it's mostly I like having the camera close. I feel like I'm not then like isn't it Olbermann who said you don't look at the camera, you look through the camera, you look past the lens to the Whoa. person at home. 
Now, I'm not saying I achieved that because Lord knows I don't achieve that. But that's that's what we should be aiming for is past the camera lens all the way to the viewer. That's deep. <laughs> let me let me ask you one more. Let me ask you one more question because this is quickly becoming you giving me advice. But I, I know I, very little about television. So that's I, I just I just want to ask you this, though, like your guests, how much interaction do you have with them before and after the segment? Well, the producers are always yelling at me not to talk to them much because then the best stuff is said off air. Right. But I like talking to them because I want to know what they're going to say and I like warming them up and I like making them feel comfortable. But truth is, the I feel like I'm so busy that hour when we're live. I feel like we're, I'm so busy. I don't talk to them enough before. There's that tension between me wanting to talk to them more and the producers who know better wanting me to talk to them less. I'm, I'm just so trying busy to... in the breaks, tweeting, reading the script, tweaking the script. Thinking about you know everything. I'm just trying to figure out how antisocial I am. That's that's mainly that's mainly. Well, you know what Letterman did. He would never talk to them, right? He would have a producer come out and which make is, sure he was busy and make sure the guests. Which busy. is kind of, right. I kind of like that. I think between breaks sometimes I'm like, they're all nice people, but I'm like, I don't know what to say. I'm an awkward person, so a lot of times I'm I'm sort of like, you know, hey, you see that. Uh, See that sporting event yesterday? I don't, I don't know what to say. So I'm sort of like, I end up looking at the script like, oh, I can't pronounce this word, or you know, but uh, I'm just curious. That know, makes it better. T- I, I, flaws, imperfections, all that, whatever that is, makes it better TV. I appreciate that. That's we are, we are in the post-robot age of TV news. Personalization. Right? Yeah, people don't want the robotic anchor who reads the questions that are given to them anymore. Right. They want the person. They want the, the awkward guy who can't pronounce words they in more than the, three. They want the awkward guy. Well, 